Welcome to MediaPost's Brand Insider. I'm your host, Steve Smith, Editorial Director of Events here at MediaPost. Each week, we interview marketing leaders from companies old and new about how they build and evolve their brands on an unpredictable media and culture terrain. In addition to this full audio interview in podcast form, we also publish a companion newsletter with highlights from the Q&A. MediaPost has been covering marketing and media news for over 20 years. You can find the Brand Insider Weekly as well as our daily coverage at MediaPost.com. Now, let's get into it. What do portable stoves and kayaks have in common with weekend men's shorts and Aloha shirts? Uh, as we've seen in the last five years at MediaPost D2C Insider events and in our coverage, digital native brands make for some strange bedfellows. As D2Cs look for growth and customer acquisition costs escalate, we've seen these companies expand into a wider range of allied categories, product development, acquisition strategies, as well as wholesale models. Solo Brands seems to embody all of these strategies. Uh, so to explore this next wave of D2C marketing uh, and growth strategy, we have with us John Maris. He's the CEO of Solo Brands. He's been with the company for five years. Previously, he was at, at uh, Claris and at Multiview, at, at Multiview, a digital ad firm. Welcome, John. Thanks, Stephen. It's good to be with you. Nice to have you. And you're, you are baking down in Dallas. It's pretty warm right now. It's pretty yeah. warm, but you know, it's always hot at Solo Stove. So this is par for the course for us. So I'm going to let you explain this collection of brands, how you, what the through line is, um, and and just give us a sense of. I only mentioned a few. Uh, so and and you have a recent acquisition that we should fold into this as well. So just give us a sense of the portfolio, but also how it makes sense. Absolutely. Ultimately, when people ask me, what do you do? I respond by telling them that I put smiles on faces. Uh, if you just take each of our brands, and I'll quickly just, just run through them. So Solo Stove is our kind of anchor brand inside of the platform. It's the largest of our five. Uh, smokeless fire pits. If you're not familiar with Solo Stove, go check out solostove.com. But a conglomeration or a, a compilation of really amazing outdoor heating products um, from patio heaters to smokeless fire pits to tabletop fire pits, uh, outdoor pizza ovens. So you can cook pizzas in, in two minutes in your backyard. Uh, Solo Stove has, has grown tremendously uh, since its founding in 2011. So it's about a 12 year old business. Uh, and then in 2021, uh, Solo Stove started making some acquisitions and ultimately formed Solo Brands. The first acquisition was Oru Kayak. This is an origami kayak. It folds into the size of a box, uh, put on your back like a, like a backpack. It weighs 20 pounds. It fits into the trunk of a Prius, um, but you literally just unfold the box and the box is the kayak. Wow. Uh, really cool product. And then we followed that up with the acquisition of Isle, which is a paddleboard surfboard business out of San Diego. Uh, been around since 24 or 2004, actually. Really cool in that they launched an e-commerce surfboard business, hard surfboards in 2004. This is before people had figured out how to ship stuff easily via the mail. They used to load surfboards on the bottom, the cargo area of Greyhound buses, <laughs> send them to the nearest Greyhound station of the customer. And then the customer would go and pick it up and find their name on the box and take it home. So really innovative uh, company that's been around for a while. And then uh, follow that up in September of 21 with the acquisition of Chubby's really well-known men's apparel business um, at Leisure, uh, really revolutionized the, the the short shorts revolution for men uh, and brought that back. And that's an incredible brand. Just recently, we closed on the most recent acquisition, a company called Terraflame, 
which has a biofuel that allows you to bring s'mores indoors. It's a really cool product. Um, think like a fire bowl or a mini fire pit that you could put on your countertop in your kitchen or on your kitchen table and actually do s'more night inside with your family. So really cool brand there. But if you bring all of those together and you say, what's the common denominator? They were all digitally native brands first. So they all were interacting with the consumers directly. But most importantly, all of these brands were experiential. They were all creating experiences that help people to build good moments and lasting memories, putting smiles on faces, kind of coming full circle back to that smiles on faces comment at the beginning. So um, that's what we're about. Um, we also find that consumers fall in love with brands. All of these products have different moments in people's lives. Um, but they aren't necessarily different consumers. And we're actually finding a lot of crossover between, for instance, a customer that is buying a swim trunk or a pair of shorts or a nice Hawaiian shirt, uh, as you mentioned earlier, and also paddle boarding and things like that. So really cool synergies across our customer base to cross market products and brands. Uh, tell us a little bit about, I mean, obviously you've been growing through acquisition um, primarily, but, but give us a sense of the growth trajectories of the overall company. Yeah, so uh, if I just pre if I go previous to uh, the acquisitions back uh, to the 2018 timeframe uh, when it was just Solo Stove, obviously the other brands existed, but we were just Solo Stove at the time. Uh, we finished 2018 at 16 million of revenue. Uh, we finished 19 at 39 million of revenue. We finished 20 at 133 million of revenue, and then we finished 21. Uh, all in with with the acquisitions at just over 400 million in in revenue um, on a pro forma basis. There's gap and pro forma and all this stuff as a public company. I got to get careful with with exactly how I, I verbalize numbers. But essentially, uh, from 16 to 39 to 130 to 400 uh, over that four year span uh, was was the growth rate. Has there been a consistency in the media channels that you've used to drive that growth? Uh, I mean, I know we're going to talk about wholesale in a second and the retail presence and how that folds in. But just in terms of building digital, dig, building digitally native brands, are there particular channels or is there a particular playbook you've applied across these brands? I'd say yes, uh, but the overarching playbook has been iteration. It's been testing. Mm -hmm. uh, that being said. Social media has been a phenomenal channel. There's obviously lots of different places to play in social media now, uh, but Facebook remains, along with Instagram, uh, a strong player for us. Obviously, Google, both on the search and shopping side, has been consistent. TikTok has been fairly consistent for us now for about 18 months. Um, there's others that you would trickle in there. OTT, podcast, now Linear TV, our kind of newer entrants uh, over the last year, year and a half. Uh, along with TikTok. Um, so I'd say Facebook and, and Instagram are probably the longest standing uh, digital channels. And then you start layering in, well, sorry, Facebook, Instagram, Google, mm -hmm. the longer standing ones. And then over the last couple of years, you start layering in some of the newer ones like TikTok, uh, OTT television or digital TV, linear TV podcasts. But primarily, you've been growing these brands mainly through that sort of feed-based, I'm gathering it's video, sort of video, grabbing interest quickly, getting, pulling them in through, you know, reels or the feed, but but really grabbing interest that way. Yeah, uh, fr from that standpoint, yes. Um, you know, some stagnant imagery as well, not just video. Um, I think it's been a, a good, healthy mix. 
and and then just creating uh, momentum behind the brands and lovers, fans of the brand that are out also doing the marketing for us. A big portion of our business, about 40% or so of our new business actually comes from word of mouth. Mm-hmm. So we do have a lot of people out talking about our, our brands and, and referring us to their friends and family members and having them come back and, and, and participate. With what them. do you do to, to encourage that? I mean, are there things that now, once you understand 40% coming through word of mouth, that's pretty substantial. There must be some way that you're sort of systematizing that so that you're actually building in ways of, of pushing word of mouth. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, at a high level, it's, it's creating lovers of your brand, getting, getting your fans, your customers to become obsessed with you. Because when you love something, I mean, just think about the stuff you love in your life. You kind of can't help but want to share it with the people around you. And I'm not just talking about brands that you buy from, but even experiences that you have. You know, you go visit a really cool place. And the next thing you know, you're telling people, you got to go visit this place. You buy a cool product and you love it and you're telling people about it. And what we've tried to create is the is a brand that creates experiences, not just with the products, but also just with the brand in general that get people talking about your brand, loving your brand. And I'll give you an example just to bring this full circle so that you know people reading or listening can really understand what I'm talking about. Uh, there was a time uh, a few years ago, uh, you know, we were a much smaller business. Um, we kind of have this... Um, this reputation that we we tried to create several years ago around taking care of customers, uh, even when it wasn't our fault. We always say not our fault, but our problem. And we had a customer reach out a few years ago and he had backed his truck over his solo stove fire pit. Mm -hmm. Clearly not, not, not a solo stove issue, right? Um, he, He sent a picture of it in to customer service and was like, look at this thing. And he was trying to kind of validate, basically he was reaching out because he was looking for a coupon code so he could replace the product. And he was like, hey, this is a boneheaded move on my part. He had no expectations except, hey, maybe you guys will give me a discount since I screwed up. And uh, we, we you know, kind of huddled. And now this kind of happens without even huddling. But at the time we were smaller and we huddled and we thought, man, this would be really cool. Uh, we should just send this guy a free fire pit. Like we just, we've got his information already. We should just like totally show it up, you know, send it with like a note and kind of like, you know, bust his chops a little bit for running over his fire pit. Um, but just send him a new one for free. And uh, we did that. And I'll tell you like those types, we, we, now it's like comments. I could just, I could rattle off 50 of those types of experiences to you right now. That guy called in, uh, ended up getting a hold of me, having a conversation with me, and probably sold 30 or 40 units for us uh, to people, you know, all over the country, up and down his street in his neighborhood, because he was just so blown away with what we had done. Well, our customer acquisition cost is a certain dollar amount. Mm-hmm. The cost of that sending that guy a free fire pit was like a tenth of what it would have cost us to go and acquire 30 new customers. Mm-hmm. So we just unlocked this mechanism by where by which we we said, gosh, this is as much you know marketing as is you know releasing a Facebook ad or or so showing somebody a shopping ad on Google. Let's lean into this and do this more. And so we found ways to just surprise and delight customers and make them fall in love with us. Uh, in addition to that, in a more practical sense, we've launched since a rewards program. Where you can, you know, give your friends and family members referral, you know, a, a code or a link 
where you almost become an affiliate, where you're getting points back anytime mm-hmm. somebody clicks your link and and are coming back in. And then, you know, you can redeem those points for but that, I, I sort of want to underscore that because what you're describing, it's interesting that you have not dropped the term influencer yet. Uh, but instead, you're 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 creating you're making customers into essential influencers rather than necessarily. And it doesn't sound like it. Correct me uh, that you're necessarily tapping into that great influencer network uh, as as a main device, but instead turning customers into influencers in sort of that classic word of mouth way through customer service. Right. And I think that when it, when the influencer, when that channel really took off influencers, I think that that's what it was intended to be. Mm-hmm. I think that it's since been monetized and twisted around and screwed up a lot. Mm-hmm. We've tested and tried influencer programs, you know, some macro, some micro, you know, mm-hmm. big influencers, small ones. And what we find is our brand requires more authenticity. Um, mm-hmm. And there's an, there's an authentic nature to creating what you're, you know, you know, kind of stretching to influencers, you know, really ultra micro influencers on a one-to-one basis with our customer base. But that's absolutely what we've done is create lovers of the brand so much that in an authentic way, even without compensation or incentive, uh, they want to go out and tell their friends and family members, this brand is, is really cool and their products are awesome too. You should, you should go check them out. Yeah, I think that's an interesting, that's an important distinction. And I think you're absolutely right. One of the things that we're seeing now is essentially the influencer network has essentially become a bought and sold channel that raises more questions than it answers about its its authenticity. That's right. Um, so let's let's talk about the wholesale move uh, because now you 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 are and and this is a place where I think uh, a lot of DTCs are finding growth is moving into the wholesale market. Tell us a little bit about the distribution footprint now, how much of the business that entails, um, and then we'll talk a little bit about the marketing impact of that. Yeah, when, when we IPO'd in twenty one, we were ninety two percent digital direct to consumer, so online. Uh, they basically think online offline, and. Um, in 2022, so the end of 21, we still ended close to that, um, maybe 90 or something. Uh, last year, we ended the year 2022 at 80% direct-to-consumer, digital direct-to-consumer, and 20% uh, wholesale retail. We've indicated this year that you could see it go to 75-25. So still the vast majority of our business is still digital direct-to-consumer um, but it has gone from just 8% of our business wholesale retail now potentially this year all the way to 25-ish percent of the business. And um, we feel like it's a it's a healthy mix. Our, our mm-hmm. kind of rally cry uh, around channels internally here is balance. Uh, we, we're looking for balance. We want to be uh, where consumers want to see us where it's most convenient for them to shop uh, in the moment. And if they want to walk out of Dick's Sporting Goods or, you know, Costco or Ace Hardware Academy or Shields uh, with our products, we want them to be able to do that. And, and so we've built some partnerships there that have been awesome for us. I think, you know, as we look to the future and we think about this balance between digital direct-to-consumer and retail, we think that there are some real ways, unlocks to coordinate these efforts even more, um, you know, allowing people to buy it, for instance, on our website and go pick it up at Dick's Sporting Goods, uh, mm-hmm. because we've identified that they're a half a mile from, you know, where we have that same piece of inventory, rather than having to ship it to them. So there's some really cool things that, that I think that are, are unlockable here. Um, we're just on the very beginning stages of. 
So why balance? I mean, what, what's so important about that idea of, of not losing the D2C roots or, or creating a balance between wholesale and D2C? It's just flexibility. It's, it's what consumers require in, in this day and age. You know, you may love to shop online for a certain category of products where others may want to specifically go in store and touch and feel. Everybody's not, not the same. Um, you also, obviously, we learned during COVID, there are also times and seasons where things just tend to flex one direction or another. So mm -hmm. being balanced is obviously just prudent, I think, for any brand that's trying to grow. But most importantly, I think it's just because you reach different audiences um, at different times. If you think about Ace Hardware as an example, um, which is a really great partner for, for us, they serve a much more rural customer base in general than we reach from a digital standpoint online. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily have you know, farmers you know, hanging out on Facebook all day. And so there's a really cool opportunity again around this word balance to be able to reach, you know, different people at different times utilizing, you know, not just, I'd say retail and, and, you know, our websites, our own websites, but you've also got marketplace, you know, with Amazon and eBay and other, other places like that. Um, you've also got dropship programs with, you know, places like Lowe's.com or Home Depot.com. Uh, you've got distributors internationally uh, for our international customers. So there are a variety of, and, and all these are our channels. Uh, I think, unfortunately, uh, DTC kind of got uh, this, this rap years ago that it, that it was a channel. And I, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't really prescribe to that. You know, our, our ticker, our, our, our ticker on the New York stock exchange is DTC. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, in retrospect, uh, you know, is it the right ticker? You know, you could debate that because there's a lot of misinformation around what direct to consumer is. Mm -hmm. We don't treat it as a channel. Direct to consumer for us is a relationship. It's mm -hmm. building direct relationships with customers. We can do that via a, a customer that purchases at Dick Sporting Goods. Uh, we can do it via a customer that purchases on Amazon.com or a customer that purchases on our website. They just look different. And so our focus is around direct to consumer in terms of a relationship. But from a channel perspective, we want to be where our customers want to shop. Well, but as a lot of DTCs have found, um, there is a difference. You don't have the you don't have the same direct relationship. You don't have the data that you that suddenly becomes opaque at retail, and the margins are a lot different. You can the gross margins are a lot different. The contribution margins for us are actually the same. If you go and buy the product from Dick's Sporting Goods or you buy it on my website, I make the same profit. The difference is, is I didn't pay free shipping to get it to your house and I didn't have a customer acquisition cost. I just sold it to Dick's Sporting Goods. So I make less gross margin selling it for wholesale to Dick's before they sell it for retail. But now I didn't have to ship the product. I didn't have to go and acquire the customer and I end up with a similar profit margin. But I think most importantly, what I'd love to go back and address is that direct relationship to the customer. You mentioned not owning the data. And this is a this is a big one for us. Right. We were super weary of navigating away from or welcoming in these other channels because mm -hmm. we we similarly had this mindset, this belief that we were going to lose that connection to the customer if we sold the product through another channel that wasn't owned by us. 
we found that technology actually makes it easier and easier now. And if you're selective and intentional about your SKU mix and other decisions you make, you actually can build those relationships with your consumers, even when, when purchased through a retailer. As an example, um, with Costco, with our partnership with Costco, um, we're able to do some marketing inside of our products that drive customers back to our website for additional pur purchases like accessories that Costco doesn't have the floor space or the interest in selling smaller ticket items um, that don't give them a dollar per square foot that meets their threshold. So they want our bigger, higher dollar items in their stores, but the customer wants a great experience, right? So they might go to Costco, buy the, the, the main mainstream fire pit, let's say Bonfire or Yukon fire pit, but then end up back on the Solostove website to purchase you know, the small stand or the roasting sticks that go along with that product. And when they make that purchase on the site, now we do have that connection. So again, because we didn't have to pay for that customer's acquisition the first time, offering them a, a coupon code so that they come back to our site, to uh -huh. us in our minds is the, it's the same thing as a customer acquisition cost. It's actually right. slightly less expensive than what it would have been to acquire that customer online. Interesting. Uh, so I know you, you mentioned briefly international expansion. What have been the key challenges of moving internationally? Yet another area where a lot of the DTCs we talk to are looking for growth. Yeah, you know, I think every business or brand as it grows eventually starts just saying the words international because it just seems like it should be an opportunity, right? If you can right. sell stuff here, you should be able to sell stuff uh, overseas. I think what was different for us is that we saw the, the volume. There were, there were kind of two things that were happening. One is uh, distributors, international distributors in certain regions were starting to get pretty active. It was mm -hmm. like, oh, wow, there's, there's some critical mass there. Similarly, we were also able to measure traffic volume from regions on our website. So we saw, you know, as Europeans started coming to our site more, as Canadians started coming to the site more, Australians started coming to the site more, Koreans, Japanese, we realized that there was there were some followings that were kind of budding in those regions. And so we started basically combining data between our 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 distributors in those markets with inbound traffic on our website from those markets, making determinations about which international locations to open first. Um, today, we have uh, most of Europe open, Canada and Australia um, with our eyes set on Asia next. Um, just based on, again, that some of that data, but that direct relationship with the customer has been an important influence over that because obviously, you know, with our website traffic, it's 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 helpful mm -hmm. and influential in where we go. So let's, let's end talking on the next stage of growth and especially acquisition strategy. You got your, you got your chubby shorts, you got your foldable kayaks, you got your s'mores bakers. This is, this is quite a collection of novelty items here that you guys, that you guys sell. Um, What's the acquisition strategy as you look for growth with with new purchases? You know, I mean, one is obviously, you know, we have to feel like there's an addressable market where it can, you know, become something sizable and meaningful. You know, now being a business north of 500 million of revenue, you know, buying a business that could do 10 million or something is, you know, it's not substantial enough for mm -hmm. us. Um, it can be that size, but it's got to have a runway to becoming something much more meaningful. Um, you know, when all is said and done, when we go back to this, this mindset around, um, you know, putting smiles on faces, I think that we're starting to center around this, this theme of, of home, you know, home is where the heart is. And, you know, sometimes home is, 
your primary residence, right? Where you live. Mm -hmm. uh, but sometimes, you know, home is kind of where you are in the moment. You might have a home base, like a, a campground or something that you're, you're at. You might be in a mobile home, RVing or tailgating, um, or just out and about at the soccer fields, you know, with your, your kids on a Saturday or whatever it might be. And we want to have a house of brands that make it so that everything feels more like home with solo. And, you know, whether it's a bathing suit or whether it's indoor s'mores or whether it's, you know, being out on the water on a paddleboard or on a kayak um, or sitting around a fire, you know, with your friends and family, that you're having great experiences and you're feeling better about yourself and your life and the, the experiences that you're having because you've participated with our brand. Um, all that being said, we love brands that are digitally native. Um, so they, they have a strong relationship directly with their customers as, as, as kind of a beginning uh, launch point. Uh, we have really good execution around how to leverage those relationships for growth. Um, but we're looking for profitable businesses that have good, good, good room in front of them to, to deliver growth and that fit well into this messaging or this idea around home. Uh, well, I can't wait to see what the next one is that you add into this portfolio because it sounds like you guys have you have eclectic tastes. <laughs> yes, it's uh, it's 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 going to be fun. We're we're definitely going to we're we're definitely we've got some fun stuff in the works for sure. John Maris of, of Solo, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for hitting play on Media Post Brand Insider Podcast. We're here each week interviewing marketing executives from large and small, legacy and emerging brands. They share their experiences navigating the challenges of commercial clutter, media distraction, and consumer disinterest. You can also subscribe to the Brand Insider newsletter for edited text editions of these Q&As. For this and all of the marketing and media news reporting MediaPost has provided the industry for two decades, head over to MediaPost.com. And if you have any thoughts, comments, or suggestions for Brand Insider, you can always reach me, Steve Smith, at steve at mediapost.com. Until next week, let's market carefully out there.